tedious is talk how, how much does it drain you to have a conversation with me for this long um not at all actually oh, that's good do you feel do you are you're not somebody that gets like rejuvenated by conversation with other people like when you're down and tired you would rather recluse to yourself than s- speak with others uh normally yes mm. but uh, there are times where it does me better to to talk to somebody, but and I probably I guess it should depends do it more, on more often than I do. But yeah, I, well, <laughs> well, I mean, it, I guess it, the thing is, is that you know, it, in my line of work, it's like you're dealing with people, even if it's not directly indirectly, because people are always calling, reaching out for mm-hmm. advice, counsel, people through other people. I mean, I, you know, I get that a lot too, where someone will contact me, you know, I'm asking this question for a friend or whatever, what should they do? And, you know, I mean, but how many times though, how many times are they asking for a friend or is it like, I'm just going to say it's for a friend. I'd hate for him to know that I'm really dealing with this issue myself is, uh, well, it depends on the context because most of the time I would say they're asking for themselves and I'll let you know that, and, and if they're really asking for someone else, right, they'll, they'll say that. But if you're counseling somebody like in a counseling setting, then at times you, you would get someone who will, you know, say, I have a friend who, right, because they want to talk about themselves but indirectly. Yeah. So they're trying to just sort of protect themselves. And usually if they do that, then you realize – you know, up front that when they're, when they do that, it's like, there's something serious they want to talk about, but they don't want to own up to it right away. Or they kind of want to get a feel for how you're going to handle it before they own up to it being them. Who's really the one, the perpetrator. Yeah. Or they, you know, being guarded because they're not sure how, you know, one will respond because in a counseling situation, people, when they come to you, they're coming, you know, with the acknowledgement that they need help, but they're not always sure, depending on what they're going through, if, you know, the other person can handle what they're going to lay on them because you, you just, I mean, you can get a lot of heavy stuff that people want to unburden themselves with. And so they're not always sure how people are going to respond to it. I don't know if this is something that you can speak on, but is there like something that comes to mind when it's like, what is the most, or maybe like intense or like out of nowhere, you didn't expect thing thrown at you from somebody in like a counseling scenario. Cause how long, how long have you been doing? Like, I mean, as a pastor, part of your job is to counsel the people that are in your flock in the church and outside of it that come you know, in and out from other, other recommendations from other people. But like, how long have you been, I don't know, intentionally taking on people to counsel at different times? Well, in one sense I can say, you know, I've been doing it since I've I've been doing ministry, which goes, Mm. you know, way back. 
man, how old am I? 54. So 20 some odd is when I started doing youth ministry and stuff like that. So, I mean, so ever since then, dealing with people, there's always been folks who've come for counsel and need advice and guidance. It's just never like, not not always in a setting where you sit down in an office, they sit in a chair, you sit in a chair and... Yeah, where there's like a weekly scheduled we're meeting up for counseling kind of thing, but it's just a, hey, late night call, you know, show up at the door. Hey, I need help with this kind of thing. Yeah. What is, but so then what, what do you think has been like, maybe as vague as you need to be, but like the most intense thing for you to have to deal with or walk somebody through in a counseling setting? Oh, you know, (laughs) If that, if I'm even allowed to really ask you that, but like, you know, you know, within, within whatever kind of like alluding words you can use, but yeah, well, you know, they're taking you right at your word that you're going to, this is going to remain in confidence. So, <laughs> well, I mean, hey, you know, my company takes me at my word that I'm not going to take naps in the middle of the day. But sometimes it happens. (laughs) Sometimes you just wind up nodding off. I mean, I can't tell you. Yeah, but part of part of being there for people and and them being able to open up to you is the the realization that you're a person of integrity. If they can't trust you, then they're not going to open up to you. And if they do and then they find that they can't, it's not going to happen again. And they'll probably you know, lock the door and throw away the key kind of thing. And even worse off than that, but they may never want to open up to another person. Yeah, exactly. It's like, if I can't even go to someone whose job is this without, and I can't trust those people, then who can I even trust to be, to be honest with? Yeah. Have you ever had a counseling thing where, where it's just like what you had heard from the person had been so much that it just like kept you up at night or something like that, where it just had disturbed you or, or, or unsettled you to the point where like it was hard for you to get your mind off of it again. No, I mean, not in a sense that it was so shocking that, you know, because a lot of that really depends on whether or not you have a biblical view of man and his sinfulness or not. Yeah. Because, you know, people have a tendency, I mean, even the church will talk about the fact that, you know, man's a sinner and everyone will acknowledge that but then when really terrible things happen people are shocked and how could man sin who knew well and it's like solomon says in ecclesiastes and he talks about the fact that you know government is going to be oppressive and he says you shouldn't be shocked by that that people are going to abuse power and so on same goes for you know, other aspects of man's sinfulness. It's like it really shouldn't surprise us. So, but at the same time, you you might sit there and think, well, you know, if you have a kid come in and, and, and reveal some things, you might be like, hmm, well, I've heard of this from adults, but not from a kid, you know, but nothing's yeah, really like so... Age, nothing's really so shocked me that I'm, I'm just I mean, like, but once you, know, you once you realize that, the the atrocities done by man in the world over history are we are every single one of us is capable of all those atrocities yeah like there's not like one that someone was just born in a different way i mean obviously people have their own mental issues and stuff like that but at the same time it's like we're all capable of 
the sins that others have done, which is something that's really hit me over this over recently, which comes, um, it's a, oh boy, what verse? I want to say it's a verse in uh, James, maybe be, um, quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger. Yeah. Is that James? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I just was going through James recently and that verse stuck out to me cause I'm quick to anger and quick to speak. And I mean, I would say that I'm quick to listen but I'm even faster to speak and to be angry. And like, it's been on my mind a lot because especially behind the wheel, I just, it's so hard for me to like, I'll be listening to the Bible. I like, I'll be listening <laughs> through the book of James and I'll be like, this idiot just come here. And I just lose my mind. And then, and, and like try to swerve in their lane to throw them off and like get back at them. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm actually in the word right now as I'm losing my mind behind the wheel. Like this is insane. But realizing that even the people that I, I know on a day-to-day basis that I dislike and I and I am I see them as like I don't know, they're just like that's just kind of a bad person. Like I just don't like their character. I don't like the way they handle themselves, the way they do what they do. But then starting to realize that I, I'm putting myself on a pedestal above them, but all their sins have been committed by me too. And it's like, maybe I'm not at the place that they're at and I'm not living in this consistent course of action or whatever, but like those sins have all been committed by me. So how can I really look down on this person for their issues and, and, and put them in a box as like a lesser worse off human being than I am? Yeah. Well, it's like Romans chapters one and two. You can get done reading chapter one and think, you know, horrible people. But then Paul goes on in the beginning part of chapter two and says, yeah, but you, the moralist, are guilty of the same exact things. You just live in a better neighborhood, have a nicer car and house. And, yeah, you know, but you're still committing the same same sins. I mean, I say that to people. There's there's sins of the gutter, but there's also sins of the gourmet. Yeah. And you can find yourself Ooh, doing right. I'll, I'll tweet so, that. I'm going to tweet that next week. <laughs> I hope you know that's going to be the one of the things in the one of the episodes is going to be the sins of the gutter and the sins of the gourmet. That's going to be the name of this episode right here. The quotable line. But it's finding the balance of knowing that and not, you know, being, you know, unleashing on people when you see sin in their life. But at the same time, we also are to hate sin and we're supposed to deal with it and all of that. But yeah, I mean, it just, it helps when you acknowledge those things and your own self and the fact that you also need help just as much as, because it's easy. It could be really easy in a counseling setting, you know, to, to walk quick home. Well, man, my life isn't as bad as that person yeah. or what have you. And I can't believe they would do stuff like that. You know, I wouldn't, but you realize that you also are one who's in great need of help and God's grace and mercy. And I think that just makes you a better counselor really in the long run. I mean, I think that once, at least for me, once I start to realize that just because I have different symptoms than the next person, I still have the same sin. And it's like, it may look different, like my pride issues might look different. I, I may be arrogant and like egotistical 
and like thinking that I'm better than other people. But then the next person may be deeply insecure all the time, questioning all their movements. But it's still this, it still comes from pride as that starting root. But it's like just because the symptoms of that sin look different for you or different for me, it doesn't make you worse off or me better off because, well, at least I'm not like that. At least it's not manifesting itself in that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But we get so we get so caught up in attacking the symptom and like you get overwhelmed with that, too, where it's just like I have so many issues to deal with. And it's like, well, there most of these could all probably be wrapped up into one core issue that you need to address that would fix all of these together in one big swoop. Or the symptom could the symptoms can disguise what you're dealing with, because, you know, there was a young girl in youth ministry years and years ago was a part of the group and. And someone had brought up her behavior, and we had all witnessed it and that, and I just mentioned the fact that it was very self-centered, and they were taken aback, and they said, what are you talking about? And mm-hmm. I said, well, she goes around, and, and she's always demeaning herself. I'm, you know, I'm fat, I'm this, I'm that. And, and she wasn't any of those things. And people's response is, oh, no, you're not. No, you're not. And, and all it was was people would just then come alongside and, you know, pump her, her up. up. Yeah. And I said, it, it seems like she's not, but I said, that's a very self-centered action. And once they stopped and sort of thought about it, they're like, uh, yeah, I guess you're right. So sometimes the symptoms can sort of hide what really is. What do you think are like issue? the, I mean, maybe they list them out in, in the book itself, but um, what are like the key sins do you think i mean pride is one of them but and that's the root of so that's the root of of most of them if i'm being honest but what are like the root core issues but that's been a discussion through the church for generations is what what really is the essence of sin and there is no doubt a, a, a key element in it is self-centeredness and selfishness, but that's not, that's not the, I would say that's not the ultimate essence of it. And really, I mean, if I could simplify, I would say that it's not giving God his due. And everything else follows in line of that, you know, not keeping his commandments, violating his law, all of that stuff, right, mm-hmm. is is a, a, a product of that and a part of that. But I mean, when you look at like Romans one, when you know the the pagan is condemned because you know he, God reveals Himself and all of this, but yet He doesn't you know acknowledge Him as God or give thanks to Him or glorify and worship Him, right? Not giving God His due, or we do that in our own hearts. We talk about the fact that you know instead of God reigning on the throne of our hearts, we put our ego or ourself in the place of. And so I think that, yeah, selfishness and self-centeredness is at the essence of a lot of sin, but ultimately I think it's just not giving God his due. Well, I think everything else flows out of that because then if you look at, you know, like going through Ecclesiastes, talking about possessions and wealth and all of that, there are so many things in life that can become a God alternative. And we have them, right? I mean, it can be education, it can be whatever, it can be, and they can be good things. And usually our, our heart idols are good things that we've taken and made ultimates. Mm. 
in our life, and therefore they, they've displaced God, and they become for us that which we worship and strive after and and go for. I mean, it's so easy to get caught, to be lost in the creation and forget the creator and all of it. Yeah. It's such an easy thing to do, especially when there's so much in life. And there's so many things where it's, and I think that's where you kind of, you don't, you can deceive yourself into whether something's right or wrong. Like you said, with the whole self-centeredness, where you're like, well, this is, you're being selfish. And the person is like, I did, that doesn't make any sense that I'm being selfish. But once you really look at it, but there are a lot of yeah. people too, who they're like, well, this is a good thing. Like what I'm doing is a good thing. So how could it be wrong? How is it's in like, is it not is, is working out not good is eating healthy, not good. And it's like, okay, it is good. But if you've made it all will be sacrificed for this. And then this is the most important aspect of my life. And it can easily become like it just it goes. It's so easy to turn to something that is good because I mean, doesn't the Bible say that all is permissible by God under the right circumstances? Yeah, yeah. And in First Timothy four, you know, there were things that there were false teachers in the church in Ephesus who were telling the people to abstain from. One of them was marriage, and Paul says all things are good, right? Mm-hmm. Sanctified by the word of God and by prayer, and so. God's given us these things to enjoy, but never to the point where they become ultimates in our life. I mean, that's the first, if you want to talk about list of things, go to the Ten Commandments. The first one is, you shall have no other gods before me. Which, which I know that a lot of times when we think about that, we think about a little statue of a dude on our mantle that you bow down to every day. But yeah. there's, I ha- there are so many things in life that I... So through the way I live and act, I bow down to on a regular basis. Yeah. I bow down to food. I bow down to nicotine. I bow down to, I mean, this is a plethora of things that I put as the most important thing. And maybe not always. Maybe you don't live where constantly you're in a state of this being the most important thing. And even consciously you might not. But if you look at it and you look at the way you approach this, if it's so easy to just put these things in that pedestal into I think that's a big thing that I've been I've been really wrestling with and dealing with. By the way, you guys are listening to the May God Help Us podcast. We had didn't introduce last episode and we should have. And I before we get too far in the, I thought we were just kind of a little bit of a light chit chat and introduce, but we brought, we jump right into the conversation so quick because we're just about it like that, you know? Yeah. Um but I want to let everyone know that you're listening to another episode of that podcast. And I hope you guys enjoy. But there is I realize that you know, at one point I thought to myself that I, I'm somebody who really trusts God and I'm really at a place where I'm cool with just everything. I'm giving everything up to him and, and whatever he wants to do with things like let him do his and I put all my faith in him and you really, I've really started to realize and with every day that goes by and with every new challenge that I have to face, I realize how not true that is. And how I'm slowly trying to make that more and more of a real statement for my life. But even with like a big way that I think I replace God with with actions or items or whatever in, in my life is that I don't trust God to make me happy enough. Or I don't trust God to fulfill me enough. Or it's like I, I, know, that, I know that you're supposed to be all and you're supposed to be all that I need. But I also need this 
to get through today because I, yeah. you know, this is what really, I, at least it gives me something to look forward to. This is what I need to make me feel like I'm going to feel so empty. So like, ugh, without it, you know, what am I going to do? And I, you know, you don't really realize it. Like even like a cup of coffee in the morning where if I don't have a beverage that I'm sipping on, I feel this weird, like, uh, what am I, I need something. I need something to kind of every once in a while, I can remember, oh, I can just take a sip of this thing that I like. And then it kind of gives me a little bit of a boost to keep going. And, and there's nothing wrong with enjoying a drink while you're working or while you're going about your day. But I realize that there are a lot of these things that I, I, I think that they give me a feeling or an emotion or they, they, they quench a feeling for me that I don't believe God can. And even though I've never really said out loud, God, I don't think you can do what this can do for me. Clearly I'm living as if that is true because I can't go without X, Y, or Z. And I don't yeah. think that my time in the word or my time with the Lord is going to scratch the itch the way that that does. But I mean, the same time as you realize that, you know, you can get to that point. It's like Paul said in, in Philippians four, right? That I've I've learned to become content in much or little, right? Because he found his contentment in God, but it's something he had to learn. It wasn't something that came natural. Us being sinners, it's just not going to come to us naturally. But mm-hmm. we at least know we can get there. But it's first just acknowledging the fact that that does happen, and that we we look for you know, those things and, and seeks ultimate satisfaction in them. Yeah. I, I, for me, it's, it's been tough because I I think a big thing that's been on my, been like, uh, uh, speaking of going through James and I think it's been a few other things. I think going through Hebrews 12 has also addressed this a bit, but like I have a lack of endurance in my faith. And I realize that's been a thing where I'm better than I have been in a lot of ways, and I'm more stable than I've been in a lot of ways, and I'm more consistent in so many ways than I have been. But I feel like I have these bursts of energy that allow me to really, like, get up and go and, and try to start getting traction going, but then it's just a matter of time before I don't have it in me to keep pushing away the thoughts and the cravings and the longings that my mind wants. And, and I give up like, it feels like there will be a period of time where I'm, I'm set on like, you know what? I'm going to make God my all. I'm going to make this. I'm good. This is going to be my focus. I'm going to keep this on my mind day in and day out. I'm going to really try to stay there. And then there'll just be a couple days of just going going well maybe a week maybe a couple weeks and then it'll slowly start to pitter off where then it just becomes a little harder it feels like I'm getting a little more exhausted by it and it's like dang going to the word going to prayer it's not immediately scratching the itch that I want and I think because sometimes you approach it where it's like well these things give me this feeling and so I want my walk the Lord to give me that same feeling because I'm choosing that over this and it's like well you're not if you're walking into this time with with the Lord to try to get something out of it, to try to get uh, an emotion or or a sense of of a, maybe even like a dopamine rush of like oh I feel good because I did what I was supposed to do, which not that you don't get those things, but there's like I just feel like I always hit this point where I don't have the strength to 
keep persevering and then I fall off for a little bit. And th- and thankfully it used to be where I'd take that fall off and that was months of down in the drain or years of down in the drain before I'd finally make my way back around. And I think now it's like a handful of days at worst a week and then I'm back on it again. Um, but I don't know, is there... I what is the best way to just build that endurance in your faith and that ability to be able to just consistently withstand, consistently push forward? Because I was saying I asked you in the last week's episode, I believe it was last week's episode where I asked you, like, does it get any easier? Um, and you said that you make, you have these, like, markers in your head of, like, things that God has done for you throughout your life that help remind you of, of what he's doing and what he does to help keep you motivated to keep going. Yeah. Are there, is that a key, big key thing? And are there other things that like practices that you've, that you've put in place over the years to help really like keep building your endurance in the faith to be able to keep running without having to stop? Yeah. Cause I mean, there's, there's, you know, Paul deals with, I'll take like anxiety. He deals with that Philippians four and in that chapter, he gives us, okay, this is what you do when you're in the midst of it. And then this is what you do in the long run. And there are things that, you know, that one can do when they're in the midst of it. And that's those, those, you know, sort of, you know, markers in life that you can look back on of when God worked in your life. Right. And seen victory and, and you overcome and so on. And at times it's good even just for us spiritually to look back as Paul does that often for us as as he writes to the church and says, remember where you came from, but this is who you are now. And sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that because, I mean, that's really what Satan will want to do is get us to be discouraged and start doubt and question. And and so it's good at times to just have those reminders in the midst of, but how do we prepare our hearts and souls for, for what is to come in the future for long term? One is fixing our gaze on that which lies beyond this world, right? I mean, that's what Christ did in, in Hebrews 12, right, where we're told that he fixed his eyes on on the glory that awaited him, right? And so he endured the shame of the cross, you know, looking to that joy set out before him. Well, and I would, I would so ask could, on that real fast, is there like— because that's something that I feel like I've tried to do, but it's, again, it's one of those things where I feel like it's only a matter of time until m- my eyes start to lock again in in the world that I'm living in. And I start to forget about where I'm at. And, and maybe I think that's just constantly re-reminding yourself. That's where being in the Word, being in prayer, putting your, putting your sight back on where it's supposed to be. But, like, are there certain things that you do throughout your day or certain practices you have throughout your week to really just kind of help keep, I don't know, re-engaging your mind and re-engaging yourself with what your main focus is supposed to be? Well, you know, it's cultivating that eschatological mindset, that mindset of living for heaven. Like Colossians, Paul says the same thing in the beginning part of that chapter, keep seeking and thinking the things of heaven. Right, mm. not the things down here on earth. We constantly find ourselves right wanting to look at the things around us. So it's cultivating that mindset and that disposition of heart that you desire to be in heaven, not here. Right, you desire the things 
there than here and realizing that the glory that awaits us, nothing that we can go through down here can compare to that. And Mm. Paul does that in Romans 8 where he describes the suffering as incomparable in regards to, you know, um, the glory that awaits us, you you can't compare the two. It, it just there's no way we can comprehend how amazing that is. But that's a a, a process of the long term cultivating that kind of heart attitude and mindset of living for heaven and living for eternity. And that's a part of the long long haul right cultivation in our life. But it, like in Hebrews 12, it looks back to chapter 11 because it talks about the fact that we have such a great cloud of witnesses that surround us. Part of you know cultivating that is just looking at other believers who've gone before, studying their life, reading about what they did in amazing ways. Like mm. you know, if you look at George Mueller, that was a man who lived with a heavenly mindset. He never asked for money. He took on a ministry that he said the main reason why he did it was because he wanted people in the church to see that you can take God at his word, that if he says he will care for you and provide for you, he will do that. And so he took on ministering to orphans in a time when there wasn't really anything out there in existence to do so. And he ministered to thousands of orphans, but he saw God over and over and over and over again provide. I mean, one of the greatest stories that that people remember about him is that they were in one of the orphanages. They had no food. I mean, completely bare cupboards, everything. There was nothing. Kids sat down for breakfast and George Mueller said, let's thank the Lord for what he's going to provide. And so he prayed and thanked the Lord for his provision. And all of a sudden there's a knock on the door and here's the baker. He says, I woke up early this morning and it was on my heart that you guys needed bread. And so he said, I got up and I baked a whole bunch of bread for the orphans. And same time, the milk cart was going by and wheel broke and he came in and asked, can you use the milk? And there you go. God provided on that spot, but he trusted that God was going to be good at his word. But he was a man who cultivated a heavenly mindset like that and a trust of God. So it's looking for those people around us as examples for, and mm. chapter 11 is, is that of Hebrews, right? You look at all those people and you look at the faith that is celebrated and honored there. But what's amazing is that they all had failures. Yeah. I mean, Abraham twice lied about his wife, right? To spare his own life, right? And even he does it the first time and it's like, okay, shame on you, dude. You shouldn't have done that. But But then he does it again. Yeah. And then his son does the same thing. The same to the same king, right? Yeah. So it's kind of, it's like, you look at their lives and you go, well, wait a minute. These people weren't perfect. Exactly. Right. That's what's and yet, it's very, and very interesting. Here they are you, in the hall of faith. If you jump into like Genesis, cause I've been, I've been re- listening to this podcast, which is just, uh, it's basically just the Bible in a year. And they just walk through a section of the, uh, the old Testament. And then they go to a proverb and then all of them do it in a, I didn't realize that Job took place so early on like after adam and eve like maybe like before noah but like maybe well noah's a lot i don't know but like not at the end or whatever um yeah and uh it's very it's so interesting because you you think you're like okay well this is the story of god's people is how god started his chosen people that he was gonna lead and it's so messy and there's so many things that happen and you hear and it's very interesting because 
they don't always address it and say that this is wrong. What this person did was considered wrong, but they show you it. Because it's like you get to watch how it plays out. If you maybe just read that and that was it, it's like, wow, that was, and God was cool with this happening, you know? Like that was just all right that the daughters intoxicated their dad and went and slept with them or something, you know? Yeah. Because they never really say, and that is condemned. But you you watch how these things play out. If you keep reading the story, and you see that they you see why they're wrong and why they don't work and why. I mean, that one seems pretty obvious to everyone that's listening. I'd imagine, I'd hope at least. But there are plenty yeah, of other things see, where you you just you, you see, see the how whole it, heritage of sin. Well, and it's it's crazy because you expect like even Abraham, who is the father of faith, and it's very interesting because when you hear the people of the New Testament speak about abraham you would think that this dude was just the guy like he was on it and like not that he wasn't he clearly had like unbelievable faith i mean even when he went to the mountain you realize when you read that story of him going to the mountain and when he's called to sacrifice isaac even says to the servants like we'll be back like wait here and we'll be back because he's i mean i don't think he thought for a second that isaac was whether he was going to die he knew that god had the power to raise from the dead yeah, And so we have the faith that, you know, I'm going to follow him and he's going to fulfill his word regardless of whatever the request he's asked me to do is. So we clearly did have an unbelievable faith. But at the same time, it's like this boy was also wiling sometimes and like did some stuff that I'm like, no one I know is going to do that, you know, or yeah. like, or I wouldn't have handled these things that way. And it's, it's crazy. And it's so, it's so amazing because you just see these the greatest people throughout the story have some of the worst mistakes that they make like David yeah. Solomon, you know, and uh, I mean a plethora of others, but it, it's so encouraging because you realize that it's not really their story. It's God's story and how he redeems their wrongs and he uses these flawed, broken people to bring good about in the end. But the fact that they, I mean, you know, when you look at the faith as well, it's like it's that in which was not seen. They didn't see the ultimate fulfillment of no. promises made, and they were looking for something beyond the even here and now, right? I mean, it, and you would think that that kind of mindset is a, a New Testament mindset, but then when you realize Abraham was the same way all the way back then. Now, did Abraham... Did Abraham, like, because how did God and Abraham get to know, how did they meet each other? Like, how did Abraham, like, did, was he always in one of those people that, like, from Adam and Eve had been raised that this is God who created the universe and this is the one that we follow or whatever? Or did he, because didn't he come from, like, a, like, a polytheistic background? Am I wrong about that? Yeah. No, that's when I mean, we find that out in Joshua at the end because you've mentioned the fact that he was a worshiper of many gods. And so uh, until then, that's that's who he was until the Lord called him to, to come and inherit the the land of promise. Wow. And yeah, so I mean, that's just, the that's the amazing that. thing of it. Right. Because God calls him. He picks up and leaves all of the gods that he worshiped. I mean, that's that's. And, once and he was well, chilling. Like, he was chilling yeah. on his dad's land, living, doing his thing. He didn't have to leave. He could have been fine right where he was. 
Oh, yeah. And then there's evidence that, that he was rather wealthy there. So it's like he walked away from all of that family, everything, to go to a, a place sight unseen, right? Yeah. And then and then God enters into a covenant with him and, and says, this is what's going to come of you, right? And then I'm going to give you so many descendants, more than you'd be able to count. And it's like all of that, just simply God blessing him, but... I mean, the amazing thing is that he's going to walk away from everything that he knows and is accustomed to. But that's it's the same with the disciples I, well, and, and the Gospels, you, right? Jesus says, come follow me, and they leave everything and follow him. Listen, I, I know that's the most amazing thing is stepping away from all your customs. The most amazing thing is that he snipped the foreskin of his penis with on the first request. Because <laughs> I would have been like, listen, man, I left the land— I'm I'm out here in the desert. You promised me a lot of things, but this seems I don't even get why this. Couldn't you just have me like chop off even the tip of my pinky? Like I'll take a I'll cut my big toe like my small toe off or something. I said why a that? professor. I had a professor at Masters, and he was going to, and he wanted to um, be a part of the local synagogue, but they said one of the requirements was that he had to go through a. Uh, uh, circumcision, although he had already been circumcised, but they still had to snip some skin off the end. He said, nah, that's okay. I really don't know. What? Why? <laughs> Why? If you've already been circumcised, that. they have to do it again? Uh, yeah. Well, you I'm know, not going to have it, anything it's, left. It's the issue of rights, but that's what most, you know, that's the problem with the nation of Israel was that they got hung up on the the right, didn't realize the spiritual significance of what was happening. Well, I mean, that was Jesus's, that's why he came when he came. Yeah. I mean, it was to, it was so legalistic. It was so about the action and whether you're doing the exact right to the detail. Did you turn the whatever, which they're still about now. I mean, they have the, they turn on all the lights in the house the day before their, what is it? What's the day that they have to, is it Sabbath still? Is that yeah. what they call it? Yeah. day before Sabbath, they have to turn all the lights on. They, they have, I've heard that like on certain buildings, they leave the elevators running all day so that they'll just open, move up to the next floor, open, move up to the next floor so that they don't have to press a button to get up in the elevator. Yeah. Pre-rip their own toilet paper. But ripping the toilet paper is work, but wiping isn't. Because if so, I don't, I think that wiping is arguably much more difficult and time consuming than pulling the toilet paper off the roll. Well, but that's the absurdity of man, right? It's like we were saying earlier about one's sinfulness. We can think there's no way that one would do this or behave like this, but then take a look and look yeah, at what we right. do. How, how can you not? How can you not say that there's a need for a savior? How can you not say there's a need for us to have a transformed mind and heart? Because these are the dumb things that we do. That we think. I mean, you go back. You go back to then. You couldn't drag a chair across the floor because their floors were dirt floors, and if you drag a chair across it, it causes a furrow in the ground. Thus, you're working, <laughs> right? You might as well be tilling the field, right? So it's I mean, like, listen. I don't want to work on Sunday either, but I want to make a sandwich. I'm going to make a sandwich, yeah. and I'm not going to feel bad about it. Well, so that, my I mean, question, but that's Christ. That's Christ's thing, right? I mean, he says the religious leaders. You know, you weren't created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for you. And they just. So what does that we mean? Have, but we have a tendency to do that. We have a tendency to take things and what God gives us, even a good thing, a day of rest, and we, we go further than where God intended us to go. 
right? It was it was meant to be a day for man to rest and reflect on all the things that God had provided and given throughout the week. But they became so restrictive and put burdens on people. Like Jesus says, you put burdens on people you wouldn't even yourself carry. Mm. And it became so legalistic. But we, we do that even with Christianity. There's things that we impose. And, you know, I mean, we were kind of laughing not too long ago when we were playing cards with everybody. But I grew up, you can't use face cards. We use rook cards. So we can play rook and we can play hello, but we can't play with face cards because people use those to gamble with, you know? And and on it goes, right? It's like you do this stuff and you think, That's huh, a new okay. one. I don't think, I have never heard that one. Have, have you heard some other crazy ones? I know some people are like big against movies or like going to the movie theater or, oh, yeah. or the the first movie I was allowed to go to was a documentary on um, the, the Abraham Lincoln being shot by Booth. I mean, it's like, but it took like so much, you know, asking my parents that they finally gave in and let me go. But it was like that was just to see a documentary to movie That's theater. That's insane. That's think, insane. You're not allowed to play with face cards. We didn't go to dances. Cards. We didn't. Yeah, but that's the, I mean, that's like when, you know, missionaries, when they went over to Africa, they did that. So the people grew tobacco and they didn't do it for usage. They would trade it, right, and use it for other things, the tobacco leaves and stuff like that. But they would also sell it so that they could make money. It wasn't like they were, you know, sitting around rolling big old, you know, huge cigars, cigars or whatever with it, right? But Not that there's anything wrong with that. But the missionaries come in and they say, you know, well, you can't do that, right? Can't have anything to do with tobacco anymore. So now you take away their livelihood. Yeah, yeah, Sorry, you can't right? sell the one thing that's produced here. Yeah, and then they come and bring their culture and say, okay, for you African men, you can't dress like that in church how you normally dress. No, you have to wear a suit and a tie, right? Because this is what it looks like to be a Christian. But that's like, I have a question mm, for that, yeah. too. Where did some of those, because, like, where does it say, I understand, like, you don't want to just, if you're going to show up, you don't want to show up looking like a schlub. You know, you want to at least put some effort that you're stepping out of the house. You're going to go meet with other people, you know, and, and, and worship God together. But why did it, why did it like, we need to wear dress clothes and we need to have the suit and the tie and we need to have the full attire going on. And if not, that's, that's wrong. Why does a collar, why is a collar more holy than a, than a crew neck? It's not, I mean, I think that for some, you know, they look back in the Old Testament, right? And the priests had to dress a certain way. They had to cleanse themselves before serving. They had to do all of these things. Everything about that was a reminder of the fact that in order to approach God, you must be purified, right? And it was a call for cleanliness. And But they were all like lived out parables and, and illustrations of, of life. It was all an object lesson for them to understand. One, yeah. how sinful man is, but how holy God is. I mean, it's the same with the animals. You offer up a sacrifice, right, for your sin. You had to kill the animal, shed its blood, do all of that. Right to have to do that, right, was a, a means of which for man to sense, right, how horrible sin was and the, and the price that had to be paid, to and that, that someone had, to, yeah, and there's had to be, you know, a, 
a means of doing that, which is all preparation for Christ. So I, I think that once since people look back at, from the church's standpoint and see that and say, okay, well, if you're serving in the church or coming before the Lord, that, you know, maybe you ought to at least come with your best, not just, you know, show up. Which I mean, that's I been a... I, I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I think that there's a good principle in there, right? Because I'm not going to come into church with my flip-flops on and all that, but that's what I wear every day, all day, in shorts and a T-shirt. That's just, you know, what I do. But I choose that I'm going to come my best on Sunday. doesn't mean I wear a suit and tie, but, you know, I dress decent. And part of it, too, is that I don't want to be a distraction to people either, right, And but you know that that all that stuff can get so blown out of proportion and and i think one needs to be cautious about that as well you know but i think that there is an appropriateness as far as you know what one wears to church because again you can distract people from where their focus needs to be i think it's part of the reason why paul gives the instruction in first timothy chapter 2 about women and how they they are to dress when they're in worship and it wasn't that they couldn't wear jewelry or any of those things. But in those days, and especially in Ephesus, where Timothy was when he received that letter and was instructing the church, you know, they would ten- have a tendency to display their wealth by, you know, the way that they dressed and weaving, you know, gold bands and stuff through their hair, all this kind of thing, right? India does the same thing. They will put on all of their jewelry and everything before they go outside so that they can let everyone see their status in life and their wealth. And and Paul's point was that you shouldn't be the focus. God should be the focus. It should be your character that, that it speaks out, not I was always confused about that. Because when I've read yeah. through that, I was like, so I was like, but I see... Girls with braids in all the time. Braiding your hair is like the, I mean, that seems pretty like I'm about to go to work kind of look. But I I never really understood. So it's not that you can't braid your hair or wear jewelry or something like that. But it's when you're showing up, you're not showing up and putting on. Is This is not, I mean, a lot of people, those are their friends. Those are not just their friends, but that's their community. And they want to be, they want to have a good image within that church community and that body. And so it's like, this is my chance to show up. And look a part that I want people to see me as, whether that's wealthy or or whatever, you know, or better put together. Well, and you look at James, right? He deals with the same issue of the rich and those who are poor. And, you know, they would do that in Africa. Those who were well off sat sat on benches. Those who were poor had to sit on the dirt floor in the back. And mm. those kinds of distinctions like that shouldn't be made. And, and God should be the focus and not class status and one's appearance and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, as much as one can say, look, dress in a becoming manner so that you don't attract attention, at the same time, it, it can be so imposed that it becomes legalistic and, and yeah. overbearing and people miss the point of what why they're doing it in the first place. Well, here's a, here's but, a big one that I'm, I'm curious about your take on. Uh, where you, you finish up what you're saying, really? No, go ahead. Oh, well, I was just curious that um, one thing that I want your take on is the, it seems like nowadays, I, I and I've been to a few different churches now, especially since I've, since I've moved, and uh, hats have become fairly accepted. I don't think there's really too many churches where if you step in the door, they're going to ask you to take your hat off. 
And I'm yeah. curious how you feel about that because I'm someone who wears a hat to church. I mean, I take it off when I pray. And uh, and but what what are your thoughts on on the cap, the ball cap? Well, they've had guys who've come here and been a part of this body. They they come with hats on, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't, you know, go. What rip is the it purpose of the head the moment in the door? What is the purpose but, of uncovering the whole know, uncovering first, your head? But First Corinthians, Paul talks about that very issue that a man should have his head covered, right, when praying and prophesying. And for why is that? that? For a woman that she's supposed to to acknowledge God's order of things. And so, for the woman, she she if she's going to pray and prophesy in in the church and and in front of everybody, then she was to have her head covered in doing so. I don't think well, it was okay. just merely I a can... cultural thing. I can so, kind of get that. Like I can yeah. I can grasp that concept sort of. But why can the dude not not cover his head? And is this because, only in the church? Because it's a but it's a yeah, because it's acknowledgement of uh, God's order of things that men are to be the leaders. I mean, if you look at the passage it's in 1 Corinthians 11, but he lays it out. This is how God designed the world, right? That husband and wife, the man is leader in the home, head of the home, and so on, and therefore he doesn't need a covering over his head, but the wife does. It's just God's order of things. So then so and, then one question yeah. does is this only apply when in the doors of the church with the congregation? Can am I allowed yes. to pray with a hat on the rest of my day? Yeah, I mean well that's as far as we know, that's the instruction that was given was when they gathered for worship, this is what oh, really? you're supposed to do because you acknowledge the roles of. Yeah, but I, oh, at, man. The same, at the same time, the, the principle, again, is the, you know, can we not take the principle and apply it to our life overall? So I don't cover my head when I pray and take my head off, you know? I might put it back on before I eat, but... I'll take it off when I pray. And part of it, because part of it is to, in doing so, it's an it's an external thing, right? Acknowledging an internal thing. It's realizing that God is ultimate head over everyone, but he's established an order here on earth. And it isn't male domination, but it is male leadership. And it is mm-hmm. male headship. And so part of, I think, the the breakdown is the fact that for those who, who do so wear a hat, they don't acknowledge, a lot of times they don't even acknowledge the fact that there's an order. And society, obviously, is, mm. you know, taking God's order of things and flipping it on its head, right? Feminism and everything else. And so, you know, I think that those things are, they're meant, they're external, but they're meant to reflect something that's internal and, and something it's that is It's kind of like spiritual. baptism in a way, where it's like that itself does not... There's nothing about baptism that saves you. There's nothing yeah. about the process. Yeah. The water isn't holy. It's just water, but it's... I'm going to show what is on the inside, outside. And it's taking yeah. that step of being able to to present who you are in that way to the people around you. But my main... My, listen, my main question is... I'm, I've never, I don't ever pray with my hat on. Um, but like to the point where I thought that you just aren't allowed to period. So like if I'm at work and I want to just talk to God while I'm working, I'll just take my hat off. But sometimes that's wildly inconvenient because my hair is, 
is bad. And like, then yeah. there'll be times where like, I don't want to pray because I'm like, well, I, I can't take my hat off because I look like a disaster under this hat. And then I'm like, well, I guess I'm just not going to pray. Am I allowed to pray with a ball cap on? Yeah. Cause so this changes everything. I just, I mean, I'm going to keep my hat on all the time when I'm on the job at least. <laughs> Or yeah, I'll take a shower so that I know my hair is fine so that I can just pray whenever I want during the work day. And, but even that sometimes it's like, what if I don't have the time? I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, the, 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 the primary reason for the giving of that instruction in Corinth was dealing with the issue of worship. And it was because they were all out of control in that church. I mean, they were just, you know, and, so even their worship services, I mean, they were like, you know, dedicating meals to the Lord and yet people were getting drunk and all that stuff. And mm. they weren't acknowledging, you know, God's order of things and leadership and all of that. And so therefore, yeah, they they needed those things to to remind them and, and to affirm that. But no, I mean, I, you know, as far as I, I understand it, you know, I, you know, I. You can be riding with a motorcycle helmet on and talk to God. You know, you so God will God hear me if my if I've got a hat on. Yeah, He's not just tuning me out. No. Oh boy. Well, I don't know. I don't know why I never asked this question before. But I should have asked this question like years ago. I may have prayed a lot more. I don't even know. I wear hats so consistently. But I think that you know, in some senses, people do it. It's just a cultural thing, you know. It's like yeah. when you're in the military, when you enter a building, you remove your cover. You don't wear, you know, mm. you don't wear your hat indoors and that. And so for some, they've just carried that cultural aspect in. I don't think that there's anything wrong with it. You know, when you can take your hat off and, and praying or just talking to God, you know, when you're just out and about, if you can. I mean, I think it's a sign of just reverence and respect for God. Or like but if I come not, down to sit down and with the word and I'm like after work and I want to just sit down and read and pray, then usually I take my hat off cause I'm just, it's just a sign that sign of respect yeah. for what you're doing. Or even like, that's where like folding your hands, bowing your head, close your eyes, whatever. It's like, you don't have to close your eyes when you pray, but it's like, it's that I'm going to just, I want to talk to you. I'm going to eliminate all of the distractions around me and I just want to focus. But it's yeah. like 90% of the time my eyes are open and I'm doing things while I'm praying or even I'm just sitting in my living room just staring at the wall as I talk. And so, but I think that, I, I don't know, because I kind of want, I I, I was going to ask you this a little earlier, but like, I don't want to throw out everything that's unnecessary or not like that's absolutely required. It doesn't want to be like, okay, well, I don't have to do this. This is not like a sin if I know this. Okay, cool. Then we're not doing this. We're like showing up to church. It's like, yeah, you don't have to wear a collared shirt. But I do think that having that almost like even just your own personal symbolism that just reminds you, okay, God is holy. This is important. I want to come into this with reverence and respect. I make sure that I do X, Y, and Z before I do this because I, I, I want to remind myself that this isn't just like any other thing that I do throughout my day. This is something that's really important that should be taken seriously, which I'm curious, yeah. do you have things for yourself maybe that like are just little things that you do to just kind of help remind yourself and, and make you feel a little more like, all right, this isn't, this is something serious. This is something that I, I should come to with. Not hesitancy, but like I shouldn't just be flippant with how I act or what I say or what I do or what I dress or or whatever. I don't know. Are the things for you that you do? 
Well, I mean, dealing with Sundays and that, I I wear long pants and I wear, you know, a nice shirt, collared shirt, and you yeah. know, I just I don't wear a suit and tie. I mean, I did in Russia. It's like I had to wear that every day, even at school, and you know, I mean, they wanted you to wear it every day, period. And for the women, they did that. They were so about the head covering that they, you know, if you were really, quote unquote, really spiritual in their eyes, you wore your head covering all the time. But your mom did that. She wore a head covering to go to church. No she makeup. No, she she did. She had to wear a head covering. Oh, but, she did. You know, she did. But she didn't wear it out and around town, though. But yeah, at church, that was a, it was a, a you know, it was an important thing to them. As soon as she walk in the door, she would have all these older women around her, you know, poking and prodding and fixing her hair because it wasn't supposed to be sticking out all over. And but then it becomes so. selfish again. It becomes a pride thing. It becomes yeah. a symbol of status. How holy are you? Oh, oh, oh! Looks like one of your curls popped out the back, Lucinda. Or I mean, I don't know. It's Russia, so yeah. Slog blava. Sorry, slog so, blava. But your, your hair popped they, out. They had ever they had different things because in Academ, the Russian church there, they were more a little more relaxed. So women could wear makeup, but very lightly done. They could wear jewelry, but nothing too, you know, showy. They could wear a head covering, but it was just like it could be a, a you know a bow across the top of your head, as opposed to full coverage. But the church yeah. where I pastored they were a lot more strict about things and so it was having your hair covered and and no makeup and jewelry and all that kind of stuff and but it it was a it was a bad thing because you know we had people who came to Christ and give one example a friend of mine who came from the states to teach a, a two week course in apologetics and so while he was here he was out walking the streets and encountered these two young guys he shared the gospel with them and one of the kids accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. And so he told them where I was pastoring church to go to. And he said, just go there on Sunday. Well, I happened to be out of town. I was speaking elsewhere. And, and this young man showed up to church on Sunday morning. He had shorts on and a T-shirt and tennis shoes. And the older people just ripped on him. And this is not a movie theater and you don't come to church like that. And he left. But the problem is they would do that over and over again with people and they would go down the street to another church, but that one definitely was heretical, but they not knowing any different, but it's like they, they, you know, got treated so shamefully that they weren't going to come back again. And I'm just thinking, are you yeah. kidding me? It's like, seriously, people. I think a lot of people, not a, maybe not, I don't want to say a lot, but I think it's very easy for people to forget that, and maybe that's kind of like with the Church of Colossi, right? That's what you're saying? Yeah. Um, where it's almost, it, it's just a club. Like, you're a part of the club. You get to come hang out with us, and we get to all kick it, and, and we're all together on this. We're all a bunch of friends because we all believe this thing. But it's you lose sight of the, of the purpose of all of it and who is really there. And, I mean, even, like, you can get that in so many different ways where you, that's where like reading the Bible and reading through the old Testament and really realizing like, Oh man, this is, this is God's story of what he did and what he is doing. And you step into church and you realize, okay, this isn't just about me and getting my chance to, 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 
chit chat with all my friends and I got my coffee in the morning. That's why I think a lot of people that like when COVID hit and lockdowns were happening at first and people weren't allowed to go to church, they're more like you, you disrupted the routine. It's like, well, but I always, every Sunday I get up and we always go get an egg McMuffin and a uh, cappuccino. And then I go to church. I say hi to Betty. I say hi to Cindy. And it's like, you can't take this away from me. And yeah. I think less of an outrage about, about like, I can't meet and worship my God. And, and more of a, I don't get to do my little routine. I don't get to see all my people. I don't get to do the thing that I enjoy at the end of my week. Well, and then I, I don't get to go and, and, you know, put my little, you know, mark on the count. Oh, I did my spiritual thing for the week. I went to church yeah. and put my time yeah, in because kind of thing. And, God forbid you just worship the Lord throughout yeah. your week or on your own time. You know what I mean? The concern but I is do, that when you when we see something that's over a that's abused is we have a tendency to just throw it out and like with Ecclesiastes when Solomon deals with government and and he deals with the fact that yeah it's going to be oppressive but at the same time there is benefit that comes from a government and so our, our tendency is well we see something that's being abused and misused let's just throw it out altogether and we can do that with a lot of things, right, with people and how they dress. Well, we've seen people make such a big deal out of it. So people can just show up in anything they want to. Well, I, yeah. I would beg to differ on that, you know. Yeah, well, I think there's such a, it's a, it's all, it's a balance between, between letting anything and any, not anyone, but anything take place because it's like well we don't want to disturb we don't want people to not sh come back again we would hate for them to feel uncomfortable in any way to where or inconvenienced in any way that would cause them to not want to return and then at the other side of things you have that where it's such a click where it's like we want to make sure if you're not going to fit with this if you're not checking x y and z if you're not hitting all the boxes and all the marks that we have and that we've decided to be important to us then we're going to basically just shun you out again. Yeah. Like, and just kind of hope you leave because you don't so, fit the vibe of what we do here. Fitting and, along this, this story, you know, you asked me, is there something, you know, things that have happened or people said something that was really shocking. So we had this couple that he, he, uh, they were living on the streets and your mom and I took them in and helped get back on their feet. And, and we got them into a place called open house. And so, um, I would pick them up. Open houses down in Vancouver, so I would pick them up Sunday morning. And they would come up and worship with us here at the house and stuff. And and usually we would hang out after church and have a big breakfast and stuff like that. Well, it was supposed to be nice weather, so they decided like after church they were going to go to the lake. And it's like okay, cool. Well, I showed up to pick them up at open house, and she was dressed like. Seriously, you would think she'd be, you know, dancing around a stripper pole. And it, was, <laughs> it was, it was really bad. And I'm like, you're gonna come to church like that? And I'm just like, I did. This can't happen. This can't happen. Yeah. And but I yeah. didn't, you know. But I'm like, how am I gonna approach this? I'm not. Gonna, yeah. How, do you how am I gonna say one? to you, this is really not appropriate? Because <laughs> first of all, first of all, to to have that conversation with a woman, period, that isn't exactly. like your daughter. That's like yeah. a that's an uncomfortable conversation that I would just never choose to have. 
And this is another man's wife on top of that. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, how right? am I going so I'm praying. I'm like, Lord, please, you know, this can't, this is just, you know, so I'm praying all the way up. Well, there was another couple. We were going to pick her up, uh, the wife, and she was going to come to worship as well. And she knew this couple. So uh, we show up at her place. She lived in Old Town Battleground, this duplex where we used to live. And so went to pick her up. And as soon as she saw that girl, she just said, no, 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 no. You are not going to church dressed like that. So she took her in and had her change her clothes and everything. And she let her borrow some of her stuff. And I'm like, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank I did you not have to have that I was not ready to have that. <laughs> That's what's like. I, I knew this guy who had worked at a Planet Fitness. And, and part of his job was like when people would come and complain that like some lady or some like 18 year old girl is wearing like something that's too cropped or they're just into sports bra. And then he's like, I now I have to go up to them and be like, Hey, can you please put on some clothes? Like you're, and he's like, I've never, this is the worst conversation you could ever have with someone you don't know. I, yeah, boy, thank the Lord for that one. Cause I would not have known what to say there. Yeah, the great thing was is that the the other girl is, is she had there was no shame in her in a lot of a lot of ways. She just would say things and that, but she also knew the girl. They were they were friends by this time, and so she could just say no, this is not right. And and yeah. the other girl didn't you know didn't ruffle her feathers or anything like that. She wasn't offended or anything. She just you know said oh okay, and she went with her and that. But I was like, man, that was one conversation I did not want to have. Boy. Well, then, I mean, because you know what's going to happen, too, is that if you don't say something and she does show up to church, you know, even if oh, people yeah. don't take, like, offense enough to it to say something to her, everyone's just going to talk about it as soon as they leave. Yeah. And everyone's going to just be gossiped. Did you see the outfit that they walked in the door with? Oh, boy. Which isn't great either, so. Yeah. But well, I think some of the I think that some of the dress code stuff historically I think came from days of Constantine and that I, I really do think it was you know because the church Christianity became popular because Constantine that was after a period of persecution and he made Christianity acceptable and yeah so there were many who started flooding the churches because they wanted to work their way up politically. So they would mm-hmm. come to church, which ended up corrupting the church. But then you had all these people showing up in their fine clothes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, I mean, historically, I think that that also contributed to. It's like the gala. It's like the big. Out. It's the get together. Like I, yeah. I feel like at certain points in in history, and especially in certain cultures, and I think that maybe we're slowly moving away from because I think it's becoming less and less cool to just be a Christian and to be in church in America. I remember even like a few years ago, I had heard someone talk about it where like in the UK, either the switch is on or it's off. It's like you're not just a Christian because that's the thing that you do. It's like if you're about it, you're about it. And if you're not, you're not. Like there's not that in between. Yeah, I am. But like you don't really care, you know, because you don't just it's there's no there's no perks to calling yourself that. And I think that. That's something that that America has not been that way for so long because we've been such a predominantly Christian nation for a long time, and that's as that's starting to f- to, to dissipate. I feel like you know, yeah. um, 
obviously there's a lot of downsides to that, but there's the upside to where it's not become this thing that like, oh, we, this is just what we do. We all just do this. We go to church. I mean, how many people have died believing that they are saved because they went to, that's what they did. That's what culturally, that's what them and all their friends and all their family and everyone went to church. That was what you would do. And, you know, and yeah. it became this thing where it was just, it was just a chance for you to mingle with all the people that you knew all in one place. Well, in the South, it's it's such a part of the culture that if you're yeah. on what they call if you're on the roll, which means you're on the church's register, then you know you're always if, even if you don't even darken the doorstep of church for years and years, they you're still considered a part of the church, and so that when you die, they bury you and they you know have the service at the church building mm. and all of that. But you know culturally, they just you know treat you as though you're a part of it, but never have been well um as we start to uh wrap this up before i run out of storage in this in this laptop because i'm i'm dwindling now i'm pretty low here um what's uh what's been on your mind this this last two weeks since the last time we met and, and conversed with each other what's been the thing that's been going on up in your noggin what's been keeping you up at night uh, my kids <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's a consistent. I mean, you could have answered that for the last twenty something years now. Good. And then that never gets easier. That one never stops keeping you up. No, it, it doesn't. It just changes, forms, takes on different nuances, but it, it's always there. No, I don't know. You know, I think that. This week is interesting. I, I think that I, I'm more and more convinced of the sufficiency of the Word of God, but I'm mm. also more and more convinced how few Christians actually believe the sufficiency of Scripture. Yeah. They'll, they'll read it, right? They'll make reference to it, but when it really comes down to tackling things of life, I mean, anything can be like, you know— talking with someone the other day and we we're talking about apologetics i understand my approach to apologetics has to be biblically driven i go to the bible to see what it looks like but not necessarily so for them and and scripture i as i have the conversation with them can tell that that the scriptures has not even been a part of their thought processes in trying but to isn't, how do how do I can you define apologetics laws? for me, please? Because I, uh, as far as I knew, apologetics is just the process of defending your faith, which I don't defending know. Defending the do faith, that but the it's Bible. but it but it's become like you know sharing the gospel, evangelism. It's sort of become sort of this blanket mm. statement, statement for all of those things. Yeah, the people that want to but, go out there and get them. Yeah, and so if, for them, it's more like having a good argument as opposed to just speaking the truth. Yeah, like winning a debate. Right? When you start pulling yeah. out the straw man thing, and it's like, I don't remember the Bible even mentioning the straw man thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, I so don't, this is really like, not that pertinent. Yeah. So it's just, but it, it, it makes it hard sometimes as a pastor because you, you like to think that you're all working for, from the same basics. And to me, that is a basic. It's like, yeah. you know, Psalm 119 dealing with the issue of living a blameless life. How do they do that? By, by keeping according to the, to the word of God, living their life according, accordingly. It's like, 
then if you're going to talk about sufficiency, there's no clear statement, but scripture throughout talks about its sufficiency, but it's like, but when it comes down to dealing with people in the church, you would think that this would be one of those things like, well, it's a given just like, you know, well, the word of God is all authoritative on how you're supposed to believe in how you behave, but it's not, it just isn't. It's like, I'm finding like, when I was a kid, there were things that you just didn't have to discuss within the church. It was between a believer and an unbeliever. But now yeah. we're having discussions as believers over things. I'm going, this is ridiculous. So sometimes it gets a little bit frustrating and disheartening because when you realize that, that this is a basic and we're not even working off this one basic element that's so important to everything and realizing there are people that just aren't there. Uh, can get a little bit, you know, wearisome and concerning. Well, you feel weird because it's like there's there's probably a whole swath of believers out there that really haven't even read the Bible for themselves. They've just heard, they've yeah. read, they probably read other people's books about it, or they've or they've heard sermons and things, but they really haven't touched it for themselves. And I think, I mean, that's the thing for me. I not that I, I definitely struggle with the shift with truly living as if the Bible is sufficient. And that's something that I realized that, and that's where trusting whether or not God is actually going to be able to fulfill me in the ways that uh, other things, I think other things do, even though they don't really, but they're yeah. a good substitute. Um, but, but think, uh, you know, I, I would love to say that the Bible is sufficient and that all that it says is true and that that is the way to live by. And if you do, you're going to, it will be the path to victory in the path to peace and the path to true joy and happiness. And, but I don't live as if that is true. And I do know a lot of people too, who talk a lot about like, Oh, I'm just trying to trust God, trying to take it one day at a time, just trying to, you know, work on that. But then as soon as an issue is addressed, it's like God is nowhere to be. Like as soon as they start talking about anxiety or as soon as they start talking about depression or as soon as they start talking about any of those any of those things, it's like I was like, well, isn't this the conversation where God should be the biggest buzzword in the room? And, and, and shouldn't that be the main focal point of this conversation? I was like, I thought we were believers. So this is where we go to for these things. Yeah. And then it just never comes up. And it's like, OK. Okay, so you you don't really trust that he will be there to resolve your issues. And you don't really trust that living according to his word is the answer. You think that it's like a good self-help thing to help keep you going, to help give you that boost, to get you back on the right track so you don't eat too many cheeseburgers at once, you know? But it's, you really start to realize, and I think, I think a lot of people, I'm one of those people who, who up until recently didn't realize how little I, I trusted the word and how little I trusted, um, the sufficiency of living my life out that way. And it's something that I would love to believe that I believed. But then when I started really evaluating my life and being like, okay, is this, do I really believe this? Cause clearly I don't, because I don't act like this is true. And, uh, yeah, you miss the you. There's a lot of people out there that just God disappears as soon as they start to talk about things in life that that aren't you know. I don't know. The solution is never 
there. It's always something else. Or it's always, yeah, I've been praying and X, Y, and Z that follows after uh, that I've also been doing is that's kind of been my main thing that I've been going to. And I've been just trying to get a better routine down. And, you know, I've just been taking walks in the morning. And that really helps get my day started better, like well enough to help me get past this, you know? And then if it's if it's not all authoritative, then I'm left. I can believe what I want to believe mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. What I don't want to believe from it, I don't have to. And it's like, well, <laughs> or or even I don't even have to wrestle with the things that don't sound right to me. Because like, yeah. well, maybe 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 that's that's for someone else. That's just not for me. That that part isn't really written for me. I'm more yeah. into the other sections. Yeah. I, uh, I think for me over this last week, it's been part of it has been endurance and part of it has been my my trust in, in God that I've, I've and I think that's just a consistent. Um, but a big one, too, is is realizing of like service and sacrifice and and the fact that, you know, we're not called to make sacrifice like sacrifice animals for our sins anymore. You know, Christ has paid that that final sacrifice. But. I realized that I don't make an effort to sacrifice myself in any way for God. And I'm certainly, certainly don't bring him the first fruits. Like certainly am I not giving him my best or my my first or my whatever. And I think I've slowly started to, like when it comes to being in the word, I mean, I most mornings I would, I would like to say pretty much all of my mornings before work starts with being in the word and being in prayer. And I and I've gotten to a place recently, especially where I've made a big thing where as soon as I get home, the first thing I do before I shower, before I eat, before anything, sit down, read the Bible again, pray more. And like I want to make sure that the first of my time in the day is given to him. The first of my time when I get home, it's like I may be starving. And the other day I was just my stomach was growling. And I was just like, you know what? I I could just eat and then read the Bible. And I don't think that there's going to be I didn't sin by doing that you know but I just want to I want it to cost me something I want to sacrifice something I want to make it more important than these other things and and if I believe that it's more important which I say I do I would like to live in a way and try to with every day sacrifice a little more and a little more for it and just be a little more in service to to him and be more willing to give up my time and give up my comfort and it's like a lot of times I'm cool with faith as long as it doesn't put me in an uncomfortable situation. <laughs> yeah. It's like as soon as things start to feel a little bit, uh, a little, I don't like how this thing kind of starts to feel. I'm not, oh, this is starting to poke in the wrong place. Then it's like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'll stray away from this now. Yeah. And so trying to be become more, and, and honestly, it bec- it's become so much more gratifying. Like, making that the first and on those days especially on those days when I really don't want the first thing I do when I get through in the door to be reading the word part of it for me too is I'm trying to break the habit of of smoking still and um I I don't smoke throughout my day I only I smoke after work and sometimes I'll be at a place where I'll smoke two cigarettes after work three cigarettes after work something like that and usually that happens when the first thing I do is I open the door go grab a cigarette go inside and smoke one and like then you get that craving that like maybe you weren't feeling it during the day but on your drive home you're just like oh i know it's waiting for me i know it's waiting for me and you just you everything inside of you is dying to have it and it's so hard to tell yourself no in that moment and so i've in the process of trying to break that because i want to get down to just 
one and then I want to skip days. I've been skipping days and stuff like that. And I'll go one day without smoking at all. And the next day I'll have one. The next day I won't have any. Um, but to be able to just walk in the door when I'm when I'm hungry and I'm craving that cigarette and I'm and I'm I'm just like you know what first things first I need to sit down I need to talk to God I need to be in the Word and not just I'm gonna read the sh- a short Psalm real fast but let me let me reread this Psalm a few times let me pick a proverb let me just dive into this chapter of this book let me talk it out and let me grab my notebook because I'm gonna expect that if I'm here to talk to God He's gonna speak back and I want to have I want to jot down the things that He's gonna tell me and so. And not having my my foot my myself one foot in one foot out of my time with the word where it's just kind of like almost like that church thing where it's like I want to check it off the thing like I did my spiritual thing for the day so now I'm good to go about the rest of my life you know yeah yeah and so being fully there mentally and and I've I've never had more gratifying and more of like an overwhelming peace about me than when I when in the midst of those cravings of and those longings to just. I'll get to the word, but I'll get to it after this. When I still put that first, it's just, it, it truly, I mean, because I don't, it makes a difference, I believe. It genuinely yeah. makes a difference in the way. And I think it's because you are sacrificing more and, and God is rewarding you because of that. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, that's that's been a big one for the week and, and also in that form of sacrifice, but I've also been trying to like, Look for ways to intentionally serve others. I realize that it, it's a it's a big. It really helps me get out of my own head and get out of my own way when I'm trying to look for ways to serve others. Come home and just like first thing I do after after being in the word is like I'm gonna go do the dishes. And even if I did the dishes three days in a row, like the boys are gone and no one's here to do the dishes, I'm gonna do them. And then, you know, maybe I don't want to, and maybe I don't, and not just do the dishes, but I'm, I'm going to do not just the plates and the bowls, but I'm also going to wash all the silverware, which is usually what I leave behind for the next guy. Cause I can't stand washing silverware cause no one does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's like, I'm gonna, I'm going to do that. And, and it really, it helps me. It just helps my self-centeredness where it's like, it helps me step outside of my own head where I'm the center of the universe and not just me, but like my feelings, my cravings, my thoughts, my whatever is the center of the universe. It's hard to say no to that when you are living in a way where every feeling you have and every itch that you feel like you want to scratch, that is the most important thing and it needs to be dealt with right then. Yeah. And you just you're on a leash being tugged around by all these things all day and you're a slave to it. And so I've just been trying to put myself in more uncomfortable situations and uh, it makes the ones I don't know, it, it makes other situations feel more comfortable, I think. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, unless you've got anything else that uh, you want to close us out with, uh, I think that this is uh, the end to another great episode. I don't know. Do you have anything else? Uh, no. Uh-uh. No? I thought you got cut off there. And I was no, like, no. wait, dude, just get It's like all of a sudden went dead silent. I was like, what My happened? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, sometimes I, the problem is sometimes I start the sentence and I don't know where it's going to end. And, and it's not just that I ended on the wrong word, but I ended on the wrong tone. That's a big thing. If you end a sentence on the wrong tone of voice, everyone else in the room thinks you're about to say something else. But I, <laughs> yeah. but I wasn't. I had ran out of thought. No, I, I thought this was a good episode. Guys, I hope you guys are enjoying this episode at home, and I hope that uh, this the, it's serving a purpose for you guys, and you're getting something out of it, and you'll be able to just sit down and... 
listen to conversations with me and my father. Ah, definitely Boy. doing me some good. Oh, it's it's great. It's 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 a big benefit to me. I hope that people listening are getting as much of a benefit out of it as I feel like I'm getting being able to sit down. And if you guys are starting to listen, if you guys enjoy the show and you enjoy the wisdom that that my d- dad has to offer, I sure that you're. You, I'm not giving you too much here, but go ahead and uh, if you guys got any questions or got any things that you guys would like to hear us talk about, just uh, send it in to. Oof, I mean, I don't even thought about where to send it into. Follow me on Instagram at Ian Will Music, and uh, you can uh, write all your questions in my DMs, and we'll talk about it on the podcast. So, thank you for listening to another episode of the May God Help Us podcast. We will see you next week, and as always, May God help us. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good thing you edit. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs>